All right, so this morning uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. I should say also that I've been remiss in updating our messages on the podcast, and I hope to catch up with that this afternoon. I think we've got uh, four or five weeks uh, of content, and I just haven't uh, done that, but I'll, uh, I'll try to get caught up on that. All right, so uh, if your Bible is, uh, is like mine, where occasionally they'll put the little headings above certain passages of Scripture, um, the heading in my Bible says that this passage refers to the whole armor of God. Does anybody else have a little heading in your Bible that says something different? What chapter are you talking about already? Ephesians 6. Yes, sir. Yeah, what does, does it have a little heading there? What does it say? Put on the, the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Anybody else? Wear God's armor. Wear God's armor, the armor of God. Yeah. I've got one, one at home that says put on the whole armor. Put on the whole armor of God, and that's certainly a, a concept we're going to talk about. Um, Sometimes you may, it may not be written, but sometimes you'll see this passage referred to um, uh, on what's called spiritual warfare, uh, that concept. And so we'll uh, dive into that a little bit. And I think what we'll do is, um, and, and many of you, if not all of you, are familiar with this passage where it goes through the different um, uh, parts of the armor. And um, I think there are six or seven, depending on how you count. We'll do um, uh, roughly half of that uh, today and finish up next week and also finish up uh, the latter part of the chapter. So perhaps uh, two more weeks uh, counting today in Ephesians. So we're going to walk through this and, um, and uh, uh, just kind of talk through things. This is uh, one of those lessons where uh, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. It's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, and I, as usual, I invite your, your comments and your questions and your insight. Uh, as, as Dad was praying, the thought occurred to me that, that one way to understand this passage is to do with the information that it gives us on how to interact, how we interact between you know, our responsibility and the world, how we interact between uh, what God has done for us um, and how we respond back to God and, and, and the role we play in, in his great story. And then also the interaction that we have with you know, forces of evil. And so those transactions of action and communication, uh, I think, might be one way of, of considering this passage. And there are many, many others. One commentator summed up this section and says, what we have in this present passage and what I believe is required again and again as Christians face the daily and yearly battle for the kingdom is a sober, realistic assessment both of the struggle we are engaged in and of the weapons at our disposal. The struggle we are engaged in and the weapons at our disposal. Now, on any given day, how many of you kind of feel that there's a struggle going on? Raise one or both hands. Um, and uh, I, I think we can relate to that. You know, there are... Um, Occasionally, those little respites that are, are sometimes few and far between where you can kind of sigh and catch your breath and feel like, you know, I'm in a 
as in the modern vernacular that people will say, you know, I'm in a good place right now, whatever that means. Um, and sometimes there are those times, but it seems like before long, you're feeling the struggle again. Uh, uh, Lee Thomas uh, taught me a lot of things, and one of the things he would always... Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Lee. Appreciate that. Because uh, I've just had two good weeks. Uh, but in, in some element that, that, is, that is true, you know, we're never that far from something else going on. So um, the important part here is what are the weapons at our disposal? And so that's what we'll uh, walk through. Uh, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's a good place to camp just for a moment. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, we, when we're considering whether we feel strong at a particular moment or whether we feel weak at a particular moment, we usually reference that to our own energy, to our own, you know, and it makes sense. That's, I'm not sure how else you would really do it. But what this verse doesn't say is to be strong in yourself and to depend on the strength that you have within yourself. It doesn't say that. It says be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Knowing that your own strength, no matter how strong you are, um, is not going to be enough. And um, conversely, God's strength is always going to be enough. And we need to remember that uh, important point. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And right away, you'll see in this passage um, the tone of encouragement, of struggle, of action. You know, I, some people have said that this passage is a, a summary of everything he's talked about before. And, and one commentator, and I may post this to the website, went through and pulled out words like power, the devil's scheme, giving the devil a foothold, spiritual forces, heavenly realm, the day of evil, righteousness, the gospel of peace, on and on and on. And every one of those phrases has been used already in the book in another context. So if you get a visual, I get a visual of the, the football coach minutes before the team is ready to take the field given that big pep talk to his team, getting him hyped up, reminding him about the basics, distilling all those weeks of practice into this one final moment, and then saying, go get him. And that's kind of the tone, I think, is a, is a fair tone of what Paul is trying to say here. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he's going to use this battle imagery as we go along and uh, as was mentioned in verse 11, here we have this phrase, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then again, later in this uh, passage in verse 13, it says, therefore take on the whole armor of God. Um, I think it's interesting that we would use the word whole armor of God. Um, the point there is we need it all. We need it all. And the whole armor of God. I think there, um, you know, there might be 
some parts of the armor as we go through that you might feel pretty good at or pretty comfortable with. Um, some people just are so in tune to be able to pray for people and to pray in general. And I know some people like that, that it's just this ongoing conversation with God is just a natural thing. So this is a part of the armor. Some people include prayer in, in this list that they might feel very comfortable with. Uh, perhaps there are others that they wouldn't be as comfortable with. So here we're encouraged to be really well-rounded soldiers that we're putting on the whole thing. We're not really neglecting any part of it. Boy, I'm just not going to get through this <laughs> in 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> so they set the clock. <laughs> I just realized they, they set the clock. Um, all right, that's all right. Um, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So when you think schemes of the devil, what does that mean? What does that sound like to you? Temptations. Temptations. The devil's constantly after us. And who else? Yeah, so sometimes a distract might be, I mean, a, an attack might be a distraction to keep our, take our eyes off the prize. Um, how? It's going to hit you at weakest point, uh, attack you at your weakest point. So, these schemes of the devil. So, some people have taken a really big picture approach to what are these schemes. And they've gone back through history and say, you know, um, what was it, 10 or 15 years ago when, when all the genocide and everything was happening in, in Central Africa, it, was that a scheme of the devil? You know, just entire populations being wiped out. Was that a big scheme of the devil? Modern day, some people might say, well, what about all this ISIS stuff? Is that a big scheme of the devil? Um, some people have taken a really close-in approach to that, and, you know, the the schemes of the devil about me personally. Um, and on any different degree, you know, or any situation, perhaps both of those could, could be true. Um, I think for many of us, um, you guys have hit on, on a point that sometimes these schemes aren't necessarily fancy. They are um, when we let our guard down to things that we might already be inclined to, what our weaknesses are, our Achilles heel, you might say, the, the chink in our armor, to use another uh, phrase, um, the schemes of the devil. Um, I think that the big point there is that, and as we, maybe I'll just read uh, the rest of this, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Um, let me just comment on a couple of those things. This phrase, this present darkness, does that ring any bells to anybody? So there was a really popular book, uh, what, 10 or 15 years ago, called This Present Darkness. Uh, Frank Perret, I think, was the author. Is that right? going by memory here. Um, but uh, yeah, I read this. It was one of those kind of scary books. And the, 
the people are fighting against demons and praying for angels to intervene, and it really, you know, is the ultimate personification of these things. And some people have kind of taken that approach that you can you can rank demons and and that there are you know the rulers and then there's the authorities and then there you know uh, some people talk about um, you know maybe some demon might be in charge of California or you know it's really trying to make that sort of thing um, the the spiritual evidence for that sort of thing is is really um, not real strong actually it's less strong than even that. I mean, there's just not a lot of hard spiritual, uh, I mean, hard scriptural evidence that says that you can um, really say that, you know, a demon has charge of a particular territory or all that sort of stuff. It's it's probably not quite like that. Um, uh, Satan certainly doesn't have the attributes of God. Satan is not everywhere. Satan doesn't know everything. Satan is not all-powerful. Um, Satan is a, a demon. I mean, I believe there's a real Satan. I mean, the Bible says so. Um, but, you know, C.S. Lewis uh, made the point, and it's still true today, some people give the devil um, too much attention, uh, too much credit. And the, the other error is to, to think that there is no such devil or there is no such thing as demon. Uh, so we need to kind of walk that that path. Um, the war's already won, right? Uh, the, we know how it's going to turn out. Um, did the demons a lot of their power at the cross? Some people would argue yes. Um, at that point, some people would say, well, maybe they're still powerful, but ultimately they're going to be defeated. Uh, I, I'm not sure how all that works. But um, certainly, uh, Paul is making the point that this is a, in the ESV says, a cosmic, that there are cosmic powers. Uh, in other words, there is a spiritual realm, okay, there's a physical world, there's a spiritual world, and there is a battle being fought there in this spiritual world. And um, to the extent that that physical world, I think it's by influenced by affecting how we believe and and um, changing our minds I think that's where the interface is between the spiritual and the and the physical uh, but it is um, the if you take the big picture approach that there really is evil in the world and it's not just random evil there is a personality behind it and we are to fight against it, and we will be victorious in it, um, if, especially uh, if we just stay tuned. So, verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Um, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Uh, withstand the evil day, stand firm. Uh, verse 14 starts, stand therefore. So th the idea is that we may not have to make a lot of advances in this area. We just got to hold our ground. So we've already won the battle. 
we just got to defend the territory here. All right. So um, that's so the nature of the of the um, battle, the way Paul has framed it, is one of a defensive battle. I've already gained the territory. I've just got to defend it. Now, as we'll see later, there is there is a sword as part of this, so there is a an offensive weapon. But much of the armor that he describes is defensive in nature. We've already won. We just got to endure and stand so that we're not um, uh, overcome. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This in the evil day. Uh, I couldn't really find out what that meant. Um, in the evil day, I guess, could refer to some point in the future where there's going to, you know, the ultimate battle, whatever, you know, some big evil day that perhaps we would all have in common. Or, conversely, maybe it's an individual thing that each one of us at times are going to have evil days where there are going to be times where the battle is. And, and again, this is one of those places that I think um, either one uh, could could very well be true. Uh, possibly so, you know. Uh, although I think there's an immediacy in Paul's, um, you know. Uh, let me answer it this way, Tim. Throughout the Bible, as we'll see in a second, there's this whole uh, way that Scripture can be applied right now, but also has a later application. That's why the Old Testament is so valuable to us, right? It applies to people then, but it can also be applied to us now, and in some cases will be applied yet in the, to the future. So I think this is one of those passages that certainly applied in Paul's day, applies to us nearly 2,000 years later, or over 2,000 years later, and then ultimately is probably going to have an even bigger application perhaps then. I'm not sure, but I think that's certainly plausible. So now we're going to walk through... Um, at least a couple of these pieces of armor. Uh, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. So um, uh, the the imagery here is um, one where the even for the Roman soldiers, the standard garb of the day was basically a type of a robe or, or cloak. So there would be um, you know a lot of fabric hanging down low. And the idea is that all this was gathered together with a, with a belt. And so if you're getting ready for battle, you take your cloak, you grab the, the hem there, and you tuck it back up into your belt. So now you're looking at like a knee-length sort of thing. So you can fight better. You're not going to trip up. It's part of getting ready sort of thing. And that's the, so the belt. Everybody needed a belt so you could get to battle. And um, this truth, Stan... Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And um, in, in many ways, I think deception is the strongest uh, weapons of Satan. That uh, uh, through influence of perhaps media and, and uh, pundits and so forth, we can be saved uh, from the truth. And we can buy into ideologies that are not scriptural. We can uh, be swayed by current events and current culture 
uh, to think some things are right when they're not. Um, this uh, concept was looked at by Josh McDowell probably close to 20 years ago when he wrote his book called Absolute Truth. Um, the Bible certainly gives us a good foundation that some things really are true, uh, absolutely. And, um, but modern day, well, you know, what's true for you may not be true for me. Um, a lot of relativistic uh, speech and um, certainly a big part of this battle is knowing what you know. You guys are great students of Scripture. You have open minds. One way of thinking at truth is adjusting your filters, right? Um, as you hear stuff going on, to pass it through the filter of Scripture. Um, whether it's how you define marriage, whether it's how you define life, whether it's... Uh, you know, what do we do about the environment? Can you pass that through the filter of Scripture? Um, you know, some some um, of the best environmentalists, which might be considered a, kind of a uh, kind of a leftist or a liberal view, whereas many conservative views might have a Christian basis. Some of the best environmentalists are Christians, because the Bible says we are to be stewards of the earth, and we're supposed to manage it properly. So um, the filter of Scripture doesn't always fit, you know, modern-day ideological boundaries. Um, and we need to be more devoted to this filter than to some, you know, political debt, because you might get on the wrong side of the argument. Discerning what we hear, what we see, what we observe, um, this whole notion of right and wrong uh, just gets skewed. Um, one of my colleagues was watching her daughter, seven years old, playing softball. And some mom raises up and starts chewing out my colleague's daughter, seven years old, because of how she was playing on the field. And this is like t-ball softball, okay? <laughs> I mean, really? You know, um, you know, the, you know that person's uh, you know the worldview was obviously uh, more than a bit warped, um, but we'll come across people, and um, we need to to recognize what is really true. I guess we'll just cover one more. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, I don't think any part of this armor uh, refer. Uh, deals any more with, with what you guys were talking about earlier, and that is, uh, where's your weak link? Uh, where's your Achilles heel? Do you remember the, the mythology of Achilles? What, who, who remember? You, tell the story, who, whoever. Oh, I got you. Huh? Exactly. So there was this potion, this, I don't know, the, the, the river was supposed to protect Achilles, so was it a mom? I forget who his mom of Achilles was. And this was, of course, you know, mythology. Dipped dip the baby all the way and had to hold on to something, so it held on to the heel, and then, of course, Achilles gets hit by an arrow in battle in the heel, and that brought Achilles down. And um, so where is our weak link in this breastplate of righteousness? You know, I love that we have freedom in Christ, right? 
Romans 14 talks all about convictions and Christian liberty, and that's wonderful. But there's right living, righteousness as well. And of course, ultimately, we're all covered with the righteousness of Christ. You know, I mean, when God looks at us, he sees us as perfect because we have Christ's righteousness. But in terms of how we live our life, we need to be righteous in the sense that um, we don't want to give the devil an opportunity by bringing us down, you know. Um, and how many people do you see in media are brought down by maybe one bad judgment? I don't know a whole lot about George Stephanopoulos, but he, apparently he, you know, is in trouble with his bosses and with the populace because he made a donation that appeared to compromise his journalistic integrity. He didn't break the law. He gave money to, you know, stop AIDS. But there were appearance of impropriety there. And he didn't do anything wrong. Um, and there are many worse examples uh, of how um, a, little, a little bad judgment, maybe if it's not even the wrong thing, but it just wasn't the wise thing, uh, so certainly living righteously and living wisely are important for us. Uh, let, me, let me just pause because I want to give you a little homework. If you'll turn to Isaiah, Paul uses imagery from Isaiah in a couple of passages. Um, and you can just jot down this reference. Um, next time we'll talk about this... Um, being this part of the armor of your shoes, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So this week, meditate a little bit on Isaiah 52, verse 7. You'll recognize this verse. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who, pub who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So look at verse 52.7 in connection with verse 15. But then also do some reading on Isaiah chapter 59. Uh, 21 verses there. And what you'll see there is this big concept. In fact, verse 17, you'll see, you'll see the term, he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Clearly this chapter was in Paul's mind as he was writing uh, Ephesians 6. And if you read this and think about, uh, when I read the Old Testament, I think in terms of kind of the big picture. Um, Isaiah 59, we've got a big part of the chapter about how awful things are and the injustice that's going on and the wrongs that are just begging to be righted. And then toward the latter part, Verse 15, it says, the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And then it's like, you can just kind of see the, the phrasing turn. It's like, okay, all right, God's coming. He's going to do something about it. And sure enough, in this passage, it's God that's putting on the armor, which is kind of a, you know, uh, bad luck for whoever he's going against. Um, I mean, um, God without armor is plenty good. Um, God with armor is not good if you're on the wrong side of that. But you get the notion. 
there is badness going on, God's going to fix it. Right? In his way, in his time, and this is one of those sections, Tim, where there was an application for the, the people of Israel there. There's an application now, and there's going to be an application in the future that God's not blind to all the craziness and badness going on in the world. He is not blind to that. He is going to fix it. For the injustice right now, we probably have a part of that. This is why it's justifiable when you vote or if you contribute to somebody who's going to advance your cause or why you should be aware of the politics going on and why you should you know, give to worthy causes and stand up for the, the rights of people who can't stand up for themselves. That's why it's important to do those justice-type things. But then, of course, at the end, God is really going to make it right. So check out Isaiah 59 and read it. You know, read it and then go back and read it. Verses 10 through 20 in Ephesians 6. They read it again and you'll get some parallels there and I'll look forward to your insight. We better quit. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these great folks who are just grappling with, with scripture and trying to understand it and being devoted uh, to your truth. Um, help us to align our ears and our eyes uh, to your truth um, and uh, help us to stand wisely against these devil schemes. Father, we thank you for your son in whom we have the... And in his name I pray, amen. Thanks, everybody.